1966, Sergio Leone gave us proof that prequels don't have to suck. I won't mention any names, but it's a lesson that some people ignored. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly took a minor TV star named Clint Eastwood and turned him into a box office titan, one big enough to make $100 million with a movie featuring an orangutan. And it did all that without an Oxford comma. This gritty western is a tale of mismatched partners searching for hidden Confederate gold. It's a basic premise, but there's nothing basic about how this film changed the western. Best of all, it takes place in Toasting the Classics' home state of New Mexico. So we got some smooth plato tequila for this week's episode, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, the podcast where we take a classic, watch it, or listen, or read it, and uh, then talk about it while drinking a drink that's related to it. it. Or play massage it. it. Or right. Massage it. Rub. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I'm Clint, Clint Lanier, and this is... Dave MacArthur. That's right. Uh, thanks for joining us. And this week we are doing a uh, classic piece of, well, I think it's a classic piece of, of uh, yeah. cinema, is uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Il buono, il brutto, il cattivo. That's right, yeah. I think, um, if I remember correctly in Italian, it was the good, was it the bad one, the ugly one, the good one, or something like that. It's, it's, there's a weird Yeah, thing. there's no and. There's no right. and in it. And it says, yeah, the good one, the ugly one, and the, bad. the, and bad. the bad one, yeah. right? Which is a weird word. They use a weird word for bad that I'm not familiar with. Right. I'm it's, not not, it's, not your, it's not your normal Italian word for bad. It's, I, had, I had to look it up, actually. What's the normal Italian word for bad? I think I'm drawing a blank on it, but I would recognize it when I see it. It's, it's not malo, right? I don't know. I can't I remember. Know. But it's not, cattivo is not like your standard, you know, word for bad. I don't think right. in Italian, but. You could convince me. I don't, I don't know anything Italian except for stuff in Olive Garden. We did a, we did a trip to Italy one time and I did Duolingo for about a month before we went there. And I mm -hmm. actually could talk to people when we were there. It was pretty fun. Most of it's all forgotten though. But for, for a little bit, I actually could speak Italian a little bit. Where haven't you so, gone? Uh, I haven't been to a lot of Eastern Europe. That's probably the number one thing. Haven't been to okay, Sub-Saharan Africa. You got the perfect person to take you. Your wife would I know. take you all over there. I know. And my wife's been to Belarus since we've been together. She did a, um, she did like a fellowship thing over there helping kids whose hearts had defects from Chernobyl. Oh, wow. Um, but that's the only time any of us has been to Eastern Europe. So I've been to Greece and Turkey. It's about as far east as I've gone. That's wonderful. Fantastic. Um, all right. Well, back so I've been to some. So I've been to some of the countries where this movie was filmed. Spain and Italy, right? Spain, Italy, and actually Mexico. Was I didn't it? realize part, that. Part of it was filmed it, in Mexico. Part of it was filmed in Durango. So I like, I, because I, uh, oh, I, I looked that up, there, there was like, there were cactus in some of the shots and some wow. of it just looked so much like the West that I was like, it's got, some of this has got to take place. Well, I mean, they have, they do have cactus in, in I think Italy. And, well, there are cactus um, all over the world, but yeah. they've been brought there. Like right. it's all, it's all native to the new world. So yeah. it's like, you can see it just about anywhere. Cause it gets onto people's shoes, I think, and stuff like that and starts growing. I've seen cactus growing in Virginia actually. <laughs> so this was uh, an epic Italian, they called it an Italian epic spaghetti Western uh, mm -hmm. filmed in 1966, I think released in 67. Is that right? Um, was it like released in Italy first before it came out anywhere yes. else? Yes, it was. Okay. Um, and it was released. So he made, he made three movies. He made a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more. And then the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, that and, was the third and, one. 
in Italy, yeah, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was the third one, but it was actually okay. a prequel to the other two. So he released, in Italy, he released Fistful of Dollars for a few dollars more, and then then The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, like a year later. That answers a big question I had. Are these movies connected, like, <laughs> yeah. in their universe? Is this yeah, like the, supposed to be, the, the so, CEU, the Clint Eastwood Clint universe? Eastwood's character, yeah, Clint Eastwood's character okay. is the one, he's the consistent one across all three of them. When it, they released it in America, they released it Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More. They released right. Phantom Menace before they released <laughs> That's New right, Hope. exactly. It makes a lot more yeah. sense when you do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow it always comes back to Star Wars with you. Anyway, it really um, does. It really does. <laughs> Star Wars, dinosaurs, and... Well, we all, we all have our dragons. mythological ur-texts, right? I that think we, so. That we sort of base everything on. Right. So, so uh, they came out, um, and they actually, in America, they all came out the same year. I think they all came out, uh, I believe, in 67. Um, so I had... Um, I definitely remembered seeing Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. Um, and then as I watched this movie, it, uh-huh. at the end, I remembered the ending of the movie, and I remembered the Civil War stuff. So mm-hmm. I saw it, and I think what it was is I saw it when I worked at a video store. So I just watched like literally everything. I'd put it on the TV and watch, like, oh, sure, but yeah. I couldn't watch the yeah. whole movie because I was busy working. So right. I sort of watched, but sort of missed some of these movies. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of familiar. I don't think I've ever seen for a few dollars more. I know I've seen all three of them, but this one, this is the one that I've, I've seen the most. <laughs> this is the um, kind of known as the quintessential spaghetti Western. Like this is the perfect okay. spaghetti Western. It was the last one that Clint Eastwood did. After this, he he I think I think he made the outlaw Josie Wales. He had that That's, same character. He had that same character, kind of like the. I, uh, I think there's quite a bit of time between Josie Wales and this. I think it might be four yeah, or five years later. He might have done some I, other I think, stuff. But I think Josie Wales him, is in the seventies. This made him a huge, you know, a huge yeah. hit. I think it was uh, Rawhide was this the series that he was on. So Rawhide ended in '66, and he didn't have any other jobs at the time. Was he known from that, or was he just on it? No, he was known for it. He was Rowdy Hayes or something like that. What was his name? It was Rowdy. Something I've never, like I've never seen it, but I, I, I looked at his IMDb, and like the first film that's listed for him is um, Fistful of Dollars. Yeah, I think that's the first first movie on. Those are the first movies. But uh, yeah, he was in he was in Rawhide. He he had the coolest name, which is what I think it was. Oh, the character, the character, which I think is one of the coolest uh, names in in the old. This is, I mean, this is a lot of this trajectory. You see, uh, Tarantino borrowed heavily from from this for once. Oh, absolutely, right, absolutely. So, um, and actually, I think he borrows from Sergio Leone's like cinematography, these wide shots and then the really close narrow shots on somebody's face or some piece of action. Like he'll sit there and do a close up of the guy's hand or something and back up to his I mean, he definitely does that in his Westerns. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino does that in his Westerns. You don't, the, 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 the first couple of films that he did, there's not too much of that. But there's a lot of what they do in this movie, which is a lot of like negative space, like a lot of like, people walking around and going to do things in between yeah. scenes and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And I don't know where that originally comes from, but right. that's strikingly different than like the way people did movies before that. Like, right. and it happens a lot in this one. There's like, there's like, I think one of the opening scenes where Lee Van Cleef is like going into the little house to, to do the bounty. Yeah. And it's just like the whole thing about him walking down and sitting down and getting <laughs> some food. And it's like going on for like, you know, five or six minutes before so there's, there's like there's- something. There's no dialogue for the first 10 and a half minutes of this movie. None, okay. Yeah. No dialogue. At yeah. All. yeah. And there's that, there's that right. sweeping shot. Like when he's riding the horse, I mean, you could go and fold your laundry and, right. and crochet a doily 
come back and he's still riding his horse to that to that yeah. house. I mean, and, you know, it, 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 and, and just I hadn't thought of the Tarantino connection, but like in Reservoir Dogs, as an example, there's that scene where Michael Madsen is cutting off the dude's ear. Right. And he like pauses and goes out to the car, opens up the trunk, gets something from the trunk, closes the trunk. There's some music playing in the distance. Yeah, yeah. He walks back into the warehouse and it goes right back into this bloody scene. It's like <laughs> a two minute digression where the right. guy's just walking yeah. to his car. Yeah, it just breaks. It breaks the scene and it it's creates like, more. It creates more tension. It, it does. It's captivating. Like, what is it's captivating on? in a weird sort right. of way. And I don't really know if I understand. I'd, I'd love to hear these directors give their theory behind right. what they're doing there because well, that, to me yeah one, it feels like tension right it's like it's like building up the guy's name is i think stevens uh that mm -hmm. he kills and he's like ex-confederate yeah. soldier that that's palpable tension where they're sitting there eating and looking at mm -hmm. each other before yeah. he finally breaks the silence and he's like you know what do you want to know or something like that yeah so uh you know i just watched um we did uh, my we went to go visit my dad and I, I always remembered when i was a kid we'd do these like movie marathons so i yeah. told my son about it i was like we're gonna go to pap pap's house and we're gonna do movie marathon yeah. so we watched like five movies on monday we just hung out there all day and one of them was high noon oh cool and i saw lee van cleef right as like a you know younger i think high noon's probably 53 so he's about yeah. 13 years younger but his face is just so distinctive yes and like all three of these guys less so for eli wallach right like he's a really yeah. weird bit of casting i think that one, like, will, that one will get to he's it he's terrific he's terrific but it's just like but lee van cleef and clint eastwood you could just look at their faces all day they're yeah. like movie star they're right. just they're just i don't know the part like you said the part where you're sitting there staring at that stevens guy yeah and you're just like he's i don't know <laughs> you know what i hated the, the one thing i hate in that scene is hearing them chew I cannot yeah. stand that. Yeah, it's crunch, crunch, crunch. And oh, you got a little, uh, you got a little it's like, with the, yeah, 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 it's just kind of gross. You know, the thing, the funny thing about High Noon and Lee Van Cleef is he was actually offered the role of one of the deputies, that one of the major roles in that movie. But the director wanted him to fix his nose. Really? He wanted, he wanted him to have a nose job because he didn't like that sharp nose. Uh -huh. Of course, Lee Van Cleef's like, no, no I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So yeah. he, he cast him in like a non-talking role, um, kind of as an extra, like a right. tough, you know, guy. That's for High Noon you're talking about? Yeah, for High Noon, right. Yeah, so I don't think was, he says anything. I think that was his very, one of his first um, motion picture, because he was doing plays and stuff before that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you're right, you know, Clint Eastwood also very distinguished, you know, very kind of a specific look. For him, it's like the eyes, like he, he does that squinting thing with his eyes, you know? It's the eyes, but he also has kind of the same thing that uh, Jack Palance had when he was in Shane. He's just got these bones in his face, these really prominent, sharp bones in his face. And then he's also got these, um, he's so crinkled, Yeah, you know? And it's like, I can speak from experience. That is what happened to light, happens to light-skinned people when they live in the desert for too long. Yes. Like, you definitely yeah. get crinkled. Well, look look like at me. No, look at yeah, me. there's nothing you can do about it. I'm only 25, God's sake. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, me too. Me too. I just graduated I mean, high school a couple of years ago. But I mean, it would, it would, you would get that from, like, squinting from the sun all the time. Absolutely. Lines, right? I mean, if I didn't have sunglasses, I am addicted to sunglasses living right. in New Mexico. There's no way. Like, in the Wild right. West, I mean, by the yeah, time like, you were 40... Yeah. You'd that's why like everybody, everybody wore a hat, you know, for a reason. So now that's true. That would help quite a bit, actually. Big, broad brimmed hat. Right. That is true. Yeah. We were having that conversation, actually. Like, when did men stop wearing hats? And JFK. I think it. 
Yeah, it's JFK, but JFK. I think it was a practical thing too because I think people were spending less time. People were going to work in their cars instead of walking to work. Right. So they needed to protect their face. Yeah. They didn't need yeah. as much protection from right. rain or sun as they had. Probably, huh. probably that had changed in the 30s or 40s, but like yeah. then JFK like changed it fashion wise and people just stopped wearing hats. I completely. wish they had stopped at fedoras and just kept that, you know, because yeah. they went from like derbies, yeah. they went from like big hats to like derbies and like top hats to yeah. fedoras. If they had just stopped at fedora uh-huh. and, we, and we still had fedoras, I'd be, I'd be cool with that because I like, I, did. I think. A- I think a lot of people, I think people are always trying to bring it back, but I think the impracticality is why it just never comes right. back. Yeah, but you they know? always bring it back in goofy ways. They have like the, kind of the small little straw ones that you see them like in Miami wearing and stuff like that. Or they have that mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of a funky driving hat looking. Yeah. Um, I'm more of a baseball cap guy myself, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. That I'm really old and I have a full set of full head of hair. That's well, that's why a, I kind of bragging, right? Yeah, exactly. Stuff. At my age, I'm glad I have hair. So right. I'm just kind of like, I'm not going to cover it up. How much? How much longer am I going to have it? So, <laughs> so what I'm did you think about the uh, the spaghetti western itself? Can you kind of count that as a genre? Can you see the genre there? So a big part of it is the realism mm-hmm. of the picture. Yeah. In terms of the violence and stuff like that, and the anti-war message, and it's it's very situated in the '60s. Right. But it's not that different from like, say the wild bunch. Right. Okay. So I don't, I don't know that all of them are necessarily Italian, the spaghetti Westerns. Mm. There's just this shift from, I mean, if you watch high noon yeah, and then you watch this, there's a huge shift. I mean, first of all, it's in color, but it's also just the violence is grittier. The, the characters are dirtier looking and stuff like that. There's an attempt at making people look like they live in the wild West. Right. I have a lot to say about the the history of this film, like what's going on in the film history wise, yeah. which is a completely different subject. But in terms of getting the look, I think that that that's what shifted. Yeah. And that to me defines the genres. I don't know if it's specifically spaghetti Western, if you see what mm-hmm. I'm saying. It's just the way Westerns shifted yeah. in the, in the no, 60s. I, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I can't think of any other other than these three. Other than this I, trilogy, and I, and, right? and I, know, yeah. I know there's a lot more. I think there was uh, like, once, in a, once upon a time in the old west, I think it was a spaghetti western. I don't think I've seen that. Okay. Um, I mean, there. So he directed quite a few of them, but there were a lot more that were directed and were made because it was cheap to make them in Italy, right? Well, you know um, why you haven't seen a lot of Sergio Leone movies? Because hmm. right. you don't really like movies about gladiators. He's got, a, he's got a he's got a whole bunch of sword and sandal movies on his. Well, IMDb, does he really? And I was like, yeah. I was like, oh. This, this is this is proof that Clint doesn't really like gladiator movies. If she's not that, <laughs> so, so I picked this one instead. I, yeah, I only like this exactly. one for the soundtrack. This has got to be one of the all-time best soundtracks. The soundtrack is spectacular. Any, any movie soundtrack. ever in the world. Apparently, uh, so they wrote the scores before they did the movie because they wanted to because he wanted to adapt the movie to the scores. Like he uh-huh. wrote one of these really haunting songs kind of throughout it, and then he would he would have it playing while he's filming scenes so that he could adapt a scene to whatever the music was. And I was like, maybe that's, that's cool maybe that's why there's so much downtime in the direction. Yeah. It's just so you get a yeah. chance to let the music play its right. part. It's the same but thing in Tarantino. You know, you get the, a chance uh, to have like a song going on. In the background. Long, I should have timed it. How long does a duel take at the very end? Like 10 minutes for them to stare it's, down. It's each not other? a duel. Do you know what it is? A Mexican standoff. It's a truel. A truel, all right. Apparently, yeah. well, a truel is a word. I did not know well, that. I actually looked wait, that up. Tuco, Tuco's gun was unloaded, so is it really? Uh, well, that's true. Well, he's a factor anyway. He's yeah. a factor in it. So it's. I mean, how long does that? How long does that scene take? I should. I should have timed it. 
I don't know. Um, it's not that long. I mean, the it whole. Seems like it, takes, it seems like it takes forever, though, doesn't it? But that it does. that became that became that one scene ended up becoming a trope in every movie, every western afterwards. Where you'd see their mm-hmm. eyes, you'd see their hands. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. The, right by their gun. I mean, if you look at Tombstone, the movie Tombstone, you know, uh-huh. in, in, in the duel between Doc Holliday and and, uh, and Johnny Ringo at the end. You know, you see them with the hands, you know, they see their their hands and then it goes back to yeah. their faces. And, I yeah. mean, that's totally from this movie, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So he really, he, he wrote a lot of these tropes without knowing it. But you're right. This was like, this was the anti-Western because the Westerns, one of the most famous Westerns ever made, and one that's in, I think, AFI's like top 100 movies is actually Stagecoach, right? Which launched John uh-huh. You know, if I've you never know, seen that. I've never seen Stagecoach. It's a, it's worth seeing. It's a good movie, but it's it's laughable after you've seen something like this because it's right. so over the top. You've got the you know the harlot with the heart of gold. You've got the you know the the do gooder, brave uh, you know Indian fighter and John Wayne. Mm-hmm. You've got the stagecoach driver. And you've got all these roles that. But that one again set the scene for basically westerns afterwards. Like all the westerns have, sure. have that formula. But then this one comes along, or these come along with Sergio Leone, and it's like dirty and gritty, and killing is fun, and it's gruesome, mm-hmm. and it's violent. A lot of people were opposed to this because they were coming out of that era of kind of right. do-gooder cowboy type of thing. John you know, I I really think I don't think it's a coincidence that you've got the shift from black and white to color. Yeah. I think that a colorized film just couldn't have a low level of realism the way that like these older, these older Westerns, because you could see people sharply and you can see like, why is everybody so clean? You know, like, why is everybody, you know, that's a great point. Their their clothing is well tailored and stuff like that. Like, like we, we actually ate lunch at Roy Rogers today and there's all these movie posters of the the old Roy Rogers movies. Really? And I was looking at the way they have him dressed and he just like, looks like he's going to like a hoedown or something. And he's like perfectly like, (laughs) Well, that's perfectly coiffed and, and, uh, and, and tailored. Back to, back to the Future Part Three or Two or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Like, are you, exactly. Are you sure people dress like this? In the in, you yeah, know, and and Doc's like, oh yeah, of course. He's got like nuclear. You know, he's got like atoms, atomic, you know, symbols mm-hmm. on his embroidered mm-hmm. into his shirt that has fringe on it. You know? and, and you know what? I didn't even really think about that joke, but probably the underlying cause there is that Doc Brown is coming from High Noon. Yeah, and Marty McFly's grown up seeing Clint Eastwood his whole yeah, life, so exactly. he's like. People didn't look like this in the Wild West. So <laughs> right, right. weirdly enough, yeah. weirdly enough, he's got more of an accurate idea. Right. Doc, Doc Brown was probably born only 10 years after the Wild West ended. Right. Think yeah. about it. You know, he's probably, so, yeah, he's probably born in the 30s or something like that. Right. Or 40s. I don't think he's like in his 40s in 1955. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's born around right around the time of World War One. Yeah, so he's not true. he's not too long after the end of the Wild West. <laughs> but, good, but uh, you know, so this this movie, I mean, it really has just look at that you know he calls himself clint eastwood in that movie and in that movie in, i'm talking about back to the future now yeah there's yeah, that, yeah there's that scene in there when he when he um has the duel with biff's great 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 grandfather mm-hmm. or whatever yep and that whole scene is from i think Mad it's from just full of dollars it's the one um, where he's he's got he's got the, the one where he's got the bulletproof vest yeah, yeah he's got I the serape on over the yeah. uh, over the piece of metal and he's wearing the serape in this one i didn't yeah. at the end at the end of the movie yeah he's got that and i was like that, oh, okay. that duel where, he, where he's got the piece of metal and he gets shot uh-huh and he's got the he's got the thing on underneath his serape or whatever that's from i think it's from a fistful of dollars yeah it? that he's uh biff biff is watching it in back to the future too Yes, yes. In the hot okay. tub. And he's like, bulletproof vest. The man's a genius. Yeah, the man's a genius. No. Yeah. yeah. Right. Forgot about that part. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> so him calling himself Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Reminds me of something that only just dawned on me while I was writing down my notes for this. Are you named after Clint Eastwood by any chance? No, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I, I feel like it was just like, it just clicked. Um, I was like, wait a minute. No, there's, <laughs> like, a, there's a, a physician that my mom worked for that was a really good friend of hers. He's a neurosurgeon uh, named Clint, okay. Clinton Morgan. And so oh, okay. supposedly I was named after him, but I don't know. You take the two, two of the biggest stars. I was born in 74. My brother was born in 71. Two of the biggest stars at that time were Sean Connery and Clint Eastwood. My brother's Sean and I'm Clint. So okay. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think things can just kind of be in the air. Like you have like an idea. I told yeah. you the whole thing about how all the kids, all the boys today, except my son, are named two syllables ends with N. <laughs> and it's the weirdest thing. Well, it's literally every kid I ever talked to is Grayson, Mason, your son's Roll, uh, your, your son's Jaron. Then we got Roland. We got Holden. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Alex, it just stands out. It's like, it's That's like, true. I didn't get the memo or the guidebook or something to naming a kid in 2010 yeah. <laughs> for some reason. Like yeah, Alex, who does that? That's like, that's like 200 years old. That's like an old. That's just the name. I always wanted. To I like name that. I like that name though. ever since I was a kid. Yeah. I like, and it fits, and it fits with Russian too. It fits with Russian. So he's got, so he's got like a, like a, like a set name in Russian, even as like a nickname that that can be declined and stuff like that. So, well, should we do, should we do a synopsis of the film at all? Let's do a drink first because I'm, I'm, let's do a drink first. I could not find Malagro anywhere. Now you bought Malagro tequila. I did. And it's uh, Plata or Plato Plata. Yeah. Well, that's what I was wondering because it's, it's a silver in English. Yeah. But, it says, I think when I look it up, that it's a plato, but it's tequila. So you would think it, and it, and then I was like, you know, so I was thinking it should be plata, but then it's añejo. It's not añeja. Yeah. They, so also what call is it? Them, they also call them blanco as well. I know. So what is it modifying that has a masculine ending like that? I don't know. See, well, the two other classes are uh, repasado, which is rested, mm -hmm. and yeah. añejo, which is old or aged. So it starts at Blanco. So it starts at Blanco. Yeah. And, and then, then Plato. No. Uh, well, Blanco and Plato are the same thing. Oh, they are the same thing. And okay. then and then it goes to Reposado and then Añejo. So I'm drinking an El Jimador, which is owned by Tequila Heredura. And it's also it's also a Blanco. Okay. I don't think I've ever actually had a Blanco before. Never had a Blanco? This is just going to be straight tequila, man. This is... No, no wood, nothing like that. Okay. So it's going to have all the funky mezcal taste. So anyway, there's three basic classifications, right? It's Blanco, Reposado, Añejo, or is it Blanco, Añejo, Reposado? Reposado. So Reposado. Is the oldest. Yeah. No, that's the, that's okay. the middle. That's the middle. Oh, okay. All right. So, so uh, Blanco, is Blanco is totally unaged. So this is basically poured out of the tap, mixed with some water to, to, to make sure that the proof is right. About 80 80 percent or 80 proof rather and then poured into bottles yep that's what i got 80 proof yep reposado means rested and they put it in an oak barrel for up to a year two months to a year and then añejo is aged a year to three years it's so smooth yeah not bad it's, I, I mean i've i've i'm not a fan of drinking tequila straight in the past yeah. but i could drink this all night this doesn't taste like anything it's not bad at all is it is that because it's so? Is there just more of a taste when you get the older stuff? Well, the older stuff. I mean, it's like it's just like bourbon. You know, if you if you get the older stuff, you don't want to mix it with anything. It's going to have a lot of different flavors to it and stuff. Huh. But all you're tasting right here uh, now is just this is the plant. You're tasting the agave. 
Totally. So this is almost like a neutral grain spirit. Almost. But you have that you have that taste of agave, though, don't you? Uh, yeah, there is a little. I can smell the yeah. agave. I honestly am not tasting anything. Oh, interesting. But I can smell the agave. Well, this is this is typically really, used. Really this smooth. is typically used for um, for mixing. So this would really be a mixing tequila. Like okay. this, is, this is what you'd make margaritas with and stuff uh, okay. like that. All right. I um, could drink this straight. This is, this is really good. Well, the reason, the reason I said it was where is this movie set? Uh, it's set in New Mexico, New Mexico. And, and when 1862, okay. 1862, which we could get into all the problems I have with it being set in New Mexico in 1862, because right. they get, they, it's like somebody had a really short encyclopedia article about <laughs> New Mexico and the civil war right. and got nothing right. Like it, there's a couple much. of, there's a couple of names that are correct. Traditionally speaking, there's two decent sized battles that took place in New Mexico. There's the Battle of Valverde and the Battle of Glorieta Pass. Right. And essentially what happened was, am I getting it? I think it's Sibley is the Confederate commander who invaded, basically who moved up north from, I think, I think from Mesilla and from El Paso. I think he got his troops in El Paso. That's right. Mesilla, Mesilla was, the, was the capital of Arizona territory. Right. So they went north hoping to take Santa Fe. The Union came after them at the fort at Fort Craig, like sort of near Elephant Butte. Right. And they had a fight there. The Confederates won that fight. But then by the time they got to Santa Fe, there were a whole bunch of Colorado volunteers that came down and a much larger Union force like defeated them pretty soundly right. at Glorieta, which yeah. is kind of near kind of near Santa Fe. I think yes. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't been there, but but they've got these names. They've got all the names of these places in the in the movie. But yeah. they're all mixed up about their time because the Confederate Army is moving back, already defeated, but talking about the battle that hasn't happened yet at Glorieta. At Glorieta. Right. But they're in Valverde. They actually go past the sign for Valverde. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at it. They showed like the fort, which I guess is supposed to be Fort Craig that's all destroyed and stuff like that. And they're in some town that's been bombed to it. It looks like St. Lowe and Saving Private Ryan. You know, there's like all the buildings are like exploded and stuff Bomb like that. Yeah. Bombs landing all over the place for no reason. Uh, it's just like, look, you've got a you've got an Italian filmmaker, yeah, making a movie about events happening in New Mexico while he's in Italy, shooting in Spain, Italy. I, I think I think we probably give him a bit of a pass. It's not a you know, it's not a historical historically accurate movie no but it was, it was just kind of like i mean they mentioned andersonville andersonville didn't happen until 1864 plus that it, was in that was in like virginia or something yeah well they were talking about that, that they were talking about they were like i think andersonville is actually in georgia but they were like um you know how how's the uh, how are the confederates treating our our prisoners at andersonville right. and I, I feel like the other guy should have been like i don't know i've never heard of andersonville it's 1862 <laughs> what are you talking about? hasn't happened yet yeah he talks about general lee and general grant who really yeah. had not gotten into the fighting yet at that like almost nobody would have heard of either of those guys at that point well, no, um, lee, lee, lee they would have grant grant certainly not grant still had a couple of years to, to work Lee out. maybe but lee was not one of the major commanders in 1862 not yet he sort of took over during the peninsula campaign right around the time that he would have first become famous to them but certainly almost nobody would have ever heard of oh, i forgot you 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 studied this in college right well i actually have a master's degree in military history and yeah, sort of so, sort of wrote so. wrote part of my thesis about the civil right. war so um, <laughs> so this would bug you yeah yeah it was I kind of thought, yeah i just thought, i just thought it was it was it was particularly cool that here we have this this what i'm going to call an old classic movie right this was and and a, and a pre-runner to uh, to so many other Westerns, you know, and certainly an influencer to everything that came afterwards. And it was set in our stomping grounds. I mean, we yeah. li you live yeah, yeah. 
a mile and a half away from from where the the Union or the Confederate forces were. were no, they would have mustered like right yeah. down the street. They yeah. would have probably I mean, marched right past my house right. on the way north. You know, yeah, right. I mean, that's so, I mean, exactly where they would have been. Um, yeah, so I thought I thought that was kind of cool, and so so I picked tequila because that's what they would have had. They would have had bourbon and whiskey and all that stuff. You see, like you know, give me whiskey and and all other stuff kind of throughout the movie. This is what they would have drank, and it would have been the. That's the interesting. Popular. That's. I think that's a really fascinating question. Actually, I I wonder if I if most of the troops involved in the battle weren't from New Mexico though. So right. a lot of the Confederates would have come in from Texas, and a lot of the Union were coming from Colorado. Right. They were fighting in New Mexico. But I don't. I'd be really interesting to find out. Would they have carried bourbon with them? Bourbon and beer and, and well, whiskey and I'm, things like that. I'm assuming they probably would have gotten whatever was local. Oh, I, I wouldn't have turned their noses up at anything alcoholic. And, uh, I don't think. But I think I think <laughs> the most accurate depiction, believe it or not, is in Three Amigos. <laughs> okay. They go, they, they go into that uh, one Mexican town. And he's like, uh, "Do you have light beer? Do we have mm-hmm. light beer? We got tequila." Well. Is it fattening? He's all fattenings. <laughs> so whatever, we'll take three tequilas. It's nice. like beer, you know. So I mean, that's that's what they would have had. Actually, but, they see, but have three had. amigos, three amigos is in Mexico, though, right? Don't yeah. they? Aren't they actually down in? Me- yeah. Well, and I and actually, I mean, I know it's Arizona territory, but in 1862, the area that we live in and where this is set in, it was practically Mexico. It was still Mexico. They just moved. I mean, it north. had officially been Mexico up until. Well, if you lived in Mesilla up until 1853, right? And if you, if right. you were in the rest of the state, 1848. Yeah. So. Yeah, the War of Mexico. But I mean, because the, the Treaty of Guadalupe of, uh, Guadalupe Hidalgo is 48, and then Gadsden yeah. Purchase is 54. Okay. So, so I always think it's so strange that like, you know, I learned that like in, in you know, U.S. history in high school, like the, with the different times that we acquired land. It's literally like something from my history book where they said the Gadsden Purchase. And I was like, yeah. who cares about that? It's such a small piece. <laughs> And that's where I live now is yeah, the Gadsden Purchase. Like I live right <laughs> on the boundary of the Gadsden Purchase. I would be in Mexico today if they hadn't bought that. That was my reasoning for doing tequila instead of whiskey. I figured there's going to be plenty of opportunities to do whiskey. Tequila. So like like one of the things that uh, I know, I, I don't know, I, I sort of had to learn this from moving to the region is that it can't be called tequila unless it's from what any anywhere in Mexico or certain yeah, places. It's actually it's Jalisco, Jalisco, Mexico. Jalisco, okay. Yeah. The state okay. of Jalisco. There, okay. there are a few exceptions. There are some that are made in different places. And that was because they were they were given um, kind of like grandfathered in. But this is imported through New York. So this goes all the way from Mexico up to New York. And then, so if, that's probably why you can't buy it because they're pretty ridiculous yeah. to import and then fly to New York and then send it back down to New Mexico. That'd be huh. pretty, uh, do you so know what yours is? Where's, this one's where's yours? Uh, this one was produced at Casa Herradura in Jalisco, Mexico, made in Jalisco, uh, imported by Brown Foreman in Louisville, Kentucky. Right? Well, there you go. Well, anyway, it went all the way to Louisville before it came back to you. That seems a little silly. <laughs> right. Well, it's American American alcohol kind of, laws. Kind of roundabout. So um, let's talk about let's talk about characters. Okay. Okay. So we've got we've got the movie. The set. Okay. So the setting of the movie. And actually, I, I interrupted. Mine, you. mine is look? also from Jalisco, by the way. I just looked it up. Okay. Why don't you go ahead and, and give us a synopsis? I interrupted your synopsis here. So, oh yeah. Okay. So the synopsis is pretty simple. Essentially, you've got three characters who get mixed up in a quest for some buried money. Right. Um, and they say, when I read the synopsis, it said Confederate money, which wouldn't well, be worth anything, but it's, it's all gold. 
it's all gold coin. So gold yeah. is gold is worth gold. So gold. that's that's good. So so they were in good shape. But anyway, essentially, it's just sort of a tangled web that gets weaved by these three characters trying to find it. And really, I think um, Angel Eyes, Lee Van Cleef is kind of out of the film for a big chunk of the middle of it. It's it's really about Clint Eastwood and Eli Wallach's characters working off and on together and against each other to try to find the gold. I was trying to think of something else or something before this that played off the like sort of troubled partnership that these two guys have. And I couldn't think of anything. I'm sure this isn't the first thing to ever create this kind of a trope of like two guys that are, you know, kind of working together, but also kind of trying to screw each other over. And like, Mm. I thought that was, it's a really fun dynamic to watch. They're just sort of, there's just barely the, the, the slimmest of thread bonding these two characters together. Right. And 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 that the only thread that bonds them is one knows the, name of the cemetery the other one knows the name of the grave right right so they have to work together and they're not neither one wants to divulge the information because because that then the other person would shoot them and they go on and take it right Do you want to hear my overworked metaphor theory of the week oh great yes so you know the sequence where they tell each other the secret yeah they finally convince each other to tell each other the secret what are they what are they doing when he finally tells them what the name on the grave is and the other guy finally tells him what cemetery. Oh, what cemetery? What? What are they doing? They're blowing up a bridge. Oh, right, right, right. So the only thing connecting oh. these two characters gets destroyed at the moment oh. that they're exploding oh, a physical yeah. bridge. I was like, that's I think a, this is, I think that's what we're doing here. I think this is really. That's an, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of that. That bridge sequence is kind of funny. So um, t- did you read the, the history of that, just that bridge sequence? So they, uh, what what happened in the in the yeah, yeah, so I, I, I won't ruin the trade. story. You, yeah, you can go ahead and tell. Yeah, it's so, good they, one, yeah. so they 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 got the uh, the Spanish army to build this bridge for them, you know, to, uh-huh. for part of the set. So they built like a real bridge. It wasn't like a set replica. It was like a real bridge. It was actually bridge. like a functional bridge. Yeah, functional bridge with big pieces of wood and everything. And then they had, so because it was like a real bridge, they had to rig it with so much explosives to actually you know destroy it. So they uh-huh. rigged it with a ton of explosives. Now, this is the army that's doing it, the Spanish army. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the, uh, the fil- one of the film operators, one of the camera operators said, said something to the effect of let's go or I'm ready, they mistook it as go. like yeah, yeah. And so they said, okay. So the cameras <laughs> aren't rolling. This is like the beginning of Tropic Thunder. The cameras aren't rolling and they blow up this bridge and they destroy all the cameras at the same time and almost blow up the camera operators. Yeah. So then they had to, had to make sure everybody's okay, take people to the hospital that were injured and everything else. And then they had to rebuild the whole bridge again and then redo right. the entire thing again. Leone fired the guy who blew the bridge. Right. And the guy stormed off and left. And then the Spanish army agreed that they would rebuild the bridge to do the to do the shot again, but oh. only if they agreed to hire back the guy who screwed up and blew up the yeah. bridge. So, <laughs> so he got to come back and, and be part that of the movie. Too so. funny. I love it. It's just like it's so quintessential, like other country, like working in another country and having mm-hmm. to do something like that. Yep. Um, yep. A little bit of a comedy of errors, right? Yeah. So you kind of you kind of touched on something that was really interesting, and I didn't I never noticed it until I started doing the research for this this episode. Um, you know, and I've mm-hmm. seen this movie, you know, a thousand times, but the relationship between Blondie, Clint Eastwood, and Eli uh-huh. Wallach's character, uh, Tuco. Right. You're right. That that's that's the crux of the story. 
But of the three characters, the person that we get to know intimately is Tuco. Yeah. Throughout the yeah. entire thing. We, we meet his brother. We hear about his parents. We hear about. I was going to say, you know, I was going to say the, th- the thing where he meets, the thing where he meets his brother and we get sort of an explanation for why he's such a screw up where he's like, you either had to grow up to be a priest or a bandit. Right. And my way was actually harder than yours because his brother turned out to be a priest. Right. I was like, that's the most humanizing thing that happens yeah. in the entire film. Clint Eastwood's character is just... He's an enigma, right? Right. And, and I mean, they use that as a device, but it's its interesting because of that. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I guess he made the decision like, well, I have to give insight into somebody. I can't do it with Lee Van Cleef because he's not going to be in the movie that much. I can't do it with Blondie because I need to keep him a mystery. He's going to be right. like, the man. He's a lot the, cooler. The man with cooler no name and more compelling. Was, yeah. yeah. So I'll develop Tuco. But by doing that, Tuco becomes the most interesting character in the whole movie. He's funny. I think so. I mean, he's funny yeah. as hell. He's he's yeah. got so much so much you know comedy throughout it. Uh, he's he's romantic. He's sad. He's a tragic figure, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's sentimental. There's all this stuff about him. And and so by the end of the movie, you're like you're rooting for Tuco. You you can't help but like the guy. He, he, you know what he's like. Actually, you know what character reminded me of because uh-huh. I was kind of mulling it over a little bit. He's like Loki. Yeah. He's like the only thing you can rely on with this character is that you're not going to be able to rely on him. Yeah, that's and true. And you're watching yeah. like like Thor's always interacting with Loki and just being like only at Thor's best is he ever sort of prepared for Loki stabbing him in the back. Right, and and right. He, the best you can do is count on him stabbing you in the back. Right. Because I was trying to figure out in that last sequence after the true will when he puts him in the noose and has him standing on the standing on the Lost. grave, the cross. And, yeah. you know, and I was like, what, what is Clint Eastwood's character doing? Like, what, why is he doing that? But it's like, it's because if he didn't do that, that guy would almost certainly betray him. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So he has to be 200 yards away and shoot and, and, and uh, t- you know, tear the, tear the noose in half so that he right. falls down. He, he's not trying to get him killed. He's just, right. he's just can't trust him. So he you can't trust that. him. Yeah. But he, you know, but he leaves him alive, and he only takes half the gold, right? I mean, right. He, he did. He kept his word, yeah. Right? Which is, I guess, yeah. which I guess is what makes him good in the end, right? Because right. none of them are really good in the like, you know, Protestant sense of, of what good is, you know, because all of yeah. them are killing people, all of them are, you know, uh, um, being, you know, kind of evil in their own ways. But well, all of them are. So if I were a dungeon master. Uh-huh. And I was had these characters in a party. Yeah, Lee Van Cleef's character, uh, Angel Eyes, is obviously lawful evil. I mean, he's okay. a bad dude. Yeah. He's a bad dude that kills people like almost for no reason. Torches but he's got, the, but he does it. have these rules. You know, he's like, if I take a job, I I see it through to the end. Right. I think I think the good guy, quote unquote, the best you could say about him is he's probably more like lawful neutral because he's just out for money. Yeah. He's not really trying to see, he's not saving people and, or trying to end the war. Although I was thinking that maybe the reason he keeps coming up with the idea of blowing up the bridge is because he wants to end all the slaughter that's going on in that battle. That's, because he that's does, it seems like, yeah, he does seem to be like upset by it. So yeah. he figured, he figures out a way to sort of serve his own ends yeah. while ending that battle and getting those two armies to stop killing. Doesn't, doesn't he say, so, doesn't he say what a, what a lot of good men wasted. Mm-hmm. Or something yeah, like he's that. Like, never yeah. seen such a waste of man. Yeah. yeah and he so, uh, throws his, he throws his coat over, over a dying man and gives him a cigar. Mm-hmm. 
You know, so yeah, that's true. I forgot so about that got, scene. You know, it's kind of like Patton when that scene where Patton's on the battlefield. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, yeah, when he goes over and talks to that one dying yeah. soldier, one injured soldier. Yeah, right. It's a little bit like that. that and makes uh, sense. It's a subtle form of good because he mostly seems to be motivated by money. He's mostly right. just trying to find all this money and taking sure. lots of risks to follow money. But he doesn't really do anything bad to anybody. You know, he's willing to he's willing to kill people, but sure. it's only people that are trying to kill him. Yeah, <laughs> I was um, wondering about that because like that scene, the very first scene where you meet him in this movie is where he comes up. Uh, there's those bounty hunters that get Tuco. And mm-hmm. he comes up behind him and he's like, it doesn't look like you're the ones that are going to get the money or whatever he says. Uh-huh. And then he faces off against him. He didn't have to kill him. Like they were other bounty hunters and they captured that guy before he did. So he comes, comes up on him. He doesn't just kill him. He like, he lets them draw on him. You know what I mean? So he, he they do just, the, it. Basically actually, tu- yeah. Tuco does the same thing. Yeah. They both do throughout the movie. They're like, there's that one bit that's a lot like high noon where they're like going down the block mm-hmm. in the one bl- blasted out city. And every time they fight somebody, even if they get the total drop on them, they whistle at them yeah. or they go, Hey, yeah. so the guy turns around and they shoot him. And I was like, why are you doing that? That guy's might kill you. If you do, why don't you just shoot him? <laughs> you know, like he's out to kill you. He's not like, well, a I guess good they're guy. that good, but also, but also it shows a little bit of the humanity, right? See Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. 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 Like, Cle- no. Lee Van Cleef's character would just shot him. Like, yeah, I wonder. <laughs> That 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 assassination scene or the murder scene where he kills he kills the guy that hires him to kill the first guy. Uh-huh. Remember how he does that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Puts yeah. the pillow over the guy's head and shoots him like five times through the pillow. Yeah. Yep. Well, it literally yeah, blows his head off under the pillow. That's pretty cold hearted. That was that was as cold hearted as it gets. I was like, okay, th- this is il cattivo, definitely. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> no, sure. No question about. No question <laughs> about sure. who the who il cattivo is. Yeah. There was a um, there was a part where um, you mentioned pillows and made me think of it. There's a bit where I think it's uh, Tuco is like laying on a bed, mm-hmm. and there's a a fly that lands on the pillow next to his head, and the fly was so big in relation to his head. I thought it was on my screen. I went to like move it. I was like, what? It looked like a pterodactyl. There were a lot. There were a lot of flies in this movie. There was a lot of flies in New Mexico in my experience. You know, I mean, there's it just bugged me so much. There's a part with. Uh, Clint Blondie, you know, Clint Eastwood's character. I can't remember. I think he was laying when he was laying in the uh, monastery, like on the bed. Mm-hmm. He was like healing. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Of. It's when Tuco was like a- acting like he's about to die or just give me the name. And there, a fly mm-hmm. lands on Clint Eastwood's lip and it bugged oh. me. It, it bothered me so much. Oh, you, you <laughs> pulled you pulled back from the accidental pun there. That's yeah, good. I tried to. I know. That, that's like in, uh, you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark where the, the fly lands on the guy's lip and he eats it. Just goes on, does doesn't stop. That's, true that's, de- that's devotion. That's devotion to your craft, right For there. For sure. But so, um, I mean, that's pretty much the, that's pretty much the synopsis of the story, right? I mean, that's they just go through a whole bunch of trouble, like trying to get yeah. a hold of the money that's hidden. You know what's funny in this movie is the dubbing. Oh, the dubbing! Like what? at first, at first when I saw Clint Eastwood talking, I was like, "What is he? What language was he speaking?" So I had to look <laughs> it up, and it's it's Clint Eastwood and a couple of the other main characters, like Lee Van Cleef spoke english through the whole thing Wallach, yeah but the other people delivered all their lines in either italian or spanish right and then they just dubbed everyone afterwards so what, that must so have been what, insane when you were filming so like, he didn't he didn't film it with sound like oh okay none of nothing was filmed with sound um and i guess i i think i think at the time italy 1966 a little bit behind hollywood probably a lot behind hollywood he filmed it as a matter of fact he would he was known for like shouting direction, like during a scene. Okay. Right? And so 
and then plus he would actually play be playing the music score during a scene. And oh, really? Playing, uh, so the actors could hear it? Yeah, the actors could hear it. So hmm. Clint Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, and uh, Eli Wallach um, delivered their lines in English in the scene, and then they redubbed it over in English. Okay, right for the American release movie. Every other character was speaking Italian, and then they dubbed English in that, which made it all screwed. They dubbed, so they they did all the Italian stuff, but then they dubbed right. Eli Wallach, Clint uh, Eastwood, in, in Italian. So they were speaking English, and it was redubbed in Italian. So hmm. uh, kind of weird, but yeah, the whole thing is the entire thing is is totally dubbed, which is always weird. You know, I actually read something interesting that it is a little bit of a tangent, but I saw that um, when they took the Terminator, the fo- the film to Germany uh-huh. to do the German dub, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger was like, I want to do my own voice. Nice. And they, they were like, they, they told him he wasn't allowed to Why? because he has this really rural Austrian accent that sounds like Billy Bob from the holler in English. <laughs> and they wow. were like, there's, there's no way that like the Terminator would yeah. sound like you. Like that's just pe- people in Germany would look at that and be like, what is going on here? Like, why is the, term- <laughs> why is the Terminator funny. like, I'll be wow. back y'all. <laughs> yeah, know? that's tragic. Yeah. It's kind of sad. So I think one of my favorite things about this movie is the soundtrack. I think definitely, I think that yeah. really jumps out. I was walking around like humming it all day. <laughs> like every time I walked into a room, I'd be like, <laughs> so answer me this is there somebody saying wah, wah, wah? yes is that somebody saying that yes oh my god there's somebody that's actually credited with the vocals i can't remember i who thought it was. i was losing my mind when i heard <laughs> yeah. that i was like that sounds like a person doing that that's so well, crazy i mean you you hear the voice the wah, wah, wah. i mean like you hear yeah somebody, yeah some, like, of it, singing, some of it you know but it's funny because I, I was so I put the kids downstairs and I was watching the rest of the movie this morning and I was telling Alex about the movie and the, and the music and stuff like that. And we were kind of imitating it. And later in the day, they put on this like really corny Brendan Fraser movie uh-huh. called uh, Furry Vengeance, where it's like him versus all the animals from the forest in like oh, a okay. Looney Tune comedic movie. Anyway, so there's one part where this raccoon goes over to get ready to attack him and it shows a close up of the raccoon's eyes and then his eyes and then it goes. Oh, no. <laughs> like does like a whole bit from good to bad and the ugly Influence. looked at me like i know that i get that <laughs> reference you know like you got it it's kind of fun. you know that composer yeah. i think that composer just passed away like in the last couple of years um, not long ago and any yeah. morricone yeah or by the, the way the movie's really long uh you know so about? it was um it was like almost, almost three, three hours almost three hours yeah i was gonna say the one that i watched uh included deleted scenes I think oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking like, is this with deleted scenes? Because yeah. I put on, what did we get? We, we rented King Kong, like the, uh, yeah. the Peter Jackson King Kong one time uh, off Amazon. Yeah. And it was like more than three hours long. I was like, oh what God. is going on? And <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't leave New York for an hour. Like they were walking around New York at the beginning. They kept adding in all these scenes. And I was like, oh my God, but cut some of <laughs> Like there's a reason why this stuff got cut. Right. No, the, the original, so the original released in, in, uh, the U.S. was a 152 minutes. Okay, so, so still, significantly still two, shorter than this. Though. Yeah, so it's still two and a half hours long. I think this one, I believe, was two hours, 57 minutes, I believe. I had 254 yeah. is what I had. 254, okay, which something is, like that. Which yeah. in my book is a long movie. That's a long movie. Um, let's yeah. talk about the director, Sergio Leone. He was okay. you know, he was actually tapped to uh, do The Godfather. No, that's crazy. Yeah, he, was, he, was, uh, he was asked to direct The Godfather. 
And he turned it down because he was already contracted to make another mobster based movie called Once Upon a Time in America, I think. I think it's um, New York. Oh, no, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. And uh, then he did he did a lot of um, like Westerns. once upon a time, yeah, one, once upon a time in America. You're right, okay. America. Yeah, it's got like De Niro and a bunch of people and like good yeah. people. Yeah, it's got a, and then uh, Joe Pesci. There's Danny a movie Aiello. called uh, movie called Duck You Sucker. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I have like, a note. I wrote that down with a big question mark. I was like, yeah. what? It's, doesn't that sound like a black exploitation movie? It does. Like it's, I'm gonna get you, sucker, or something yeah. like that. Like uh, I, I looked at it. It's totally not what it is. It's like a. Um, I'm not even 100%. Sure. I think it's, it's a Western. It's a Mexican right. Revolution action drama starring oh, James wow. Coburn as an Irish revolutionary and James Rod, Rod Steiger under... as a Mexican bandit. Wow. Rod Steiger is the guy with the hair lip, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That is a crazy film name. Like, I, why would you call a movie that? Like, it, it, tells, me, it tells me nothing about what the movie is. I think it might have been something different in Italian. <laughs> I'm going to assume. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, did yeah, you? Yeah. Did you um, it's, uh, it's Guila Testa. What is that? What is that? Guila Testa. Guila Testa. Let me, let me see. What that I think that means watch your head. But, down um, the head. Yeah. Du- yeah. Down the head. Or yeah, duck, yeah. Your, duck your head. That's close. That's so close. Duck, That's duck close. you sucker means from. Duck you sucker is not, not <laughs> quite a direct translation. Watch your head. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Did you, did, you ca- did you catch the name Tuco? Like where else that was used? No, it's well, a New Mexico thing. It's in Breaking Bad. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the the, the, right. the drug dealer they get mixed up with is called yeah. Tuco. Tuco. And so I think that's a that's I, I didn't catch it when I watched the show, but that's a nod to yeah. this movie. It's got to be. It's not exactly a common name. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to go back. I want to go back to the who I think is the most talented person in this movie. Wait, let me try to guess. Let's see. So, um, do you, do you are you going with Eli Wallach? Yeah, I am. Yeah, that yeah. guy, that dude. Yeah, he's the, He's the best actor in the movie. I, I really like to to see Clint Eastwood's face and yeah. Lee Van Cleef's faces, but mm-hmm. they, they they gave Eli Wallach most of the character it, for a reason. So he is he's, a, he's, he's a he is a Jewish son of Polish immigrants hmm. born in Brooklyn. In other words, not Mexican, despite being not typecast Mexican. as Mexican. But oh my god! Does he not? Yeah. Does he not play that part so doggone good? I mean. He well, he sort of convincing. He convincingly looks that way too. I mean, he kind of like, his, yeah. But his his accent. I mean, he mm-hmm. just has it down. And not only that, but he also played the heavy. Uh, I can't remember his name, El Wampo or whatever. In uh, in the Magnificent Seven, he was the bad. Yeah. That yeah, one yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. It's the same. It's essentially the same role. Something that starts with C H. Something like Chavaro or yeah, something like that. Cha- something like that. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> seen that one in a long time. We should Amiga, definitely three do. Three amigos. It was called El Wampo, but whatever. But, so uh, I mean, yeah, like I was gonna say, Mag- I was gonna say Magnificent Seven, but like I can tell you right now, both of us are gonna call Magnificent Seven a classic. That's that's just uh, yeah, a good movie. And by yeah. the way, that's one that's one that's kind of in between on the realism factor, right? Like that one is more violent than High Noon, but less violent than this one. So it's yeah. definitely like on a transition, you know, like you're seeing. Yeah. There's a lot more killing and shooting. And well, that one, like that you know, famously, and every film nerd knows this, but that, that one was famously based off of a Japanese movie called The Seven Samurai. Yeah. Um, which was gritty and dirty and violent and bloody. Yeah. Um, Toshiro um, Mifune, um, everything about the way he acts is what Clint Eastwood is doing. Yeah. It's like that sort of standing there and squinting at everybody. Mm-hmm. And like not moving very much and looking kind of gritty. 
mm-hmm. is like all what he except he does this thing where he scratches his belly all the time yeah. that's like that's like his number one thing you couldn't really he's wearing a robe so it's a little easier than if you're yeah. just although yeah. i guess clint eastwood kind of does the beard rub, yeah, right does that, doesn't he yeah. do that a lot and he kind of likes to get a cigar mess with a cigar mm-hmm. yeah so okay. clint eastwood i mean tashir mafune couldn't do that they didn't they didn't have yeah. cigars in medieval japan yeah. so eli wallach i, I remember I remember seeing him on an episode of Law and Order, like back. Okay. And this is like the old original Law and Order. Good lord! Um, he played. He was an an old man. He was a Jewish life insurance salesman. Okay. His character in the show. This is like a heavy show, heavy show. His character went over to all the Jews uh, in like Poland and Germany and stuff, and sold them life insurance before they got shipped off um, to concentration camps and died. He made, apparently his character like made millions of dollars knowing that they'd never have to repay and they never repaid the families or anything like that. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was like some like sacrificial thing. Like he knew they were going to die and he'd have to pay out on their policies. So it was like no, no, an act, he, he an act of courage, you know, no, he knew they were going to die and he swindled them, you know, oh, he wouldn't. Oh, and so that, that's why, so he was the one, he was the one being prosecuted for all that. Okay. I remember looking at it, like watching it. I'm like, wait a minute. Is that the dude from the good, the yeah. bad, and the budget? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and oh. I, I looked it up and I was like, holy hell, this guy could play, you know, this old Jewish life insurance salesman, you know, mm-hmm. from World War II, and he can play this Mexican bandit. He was an amazing, amazing actor. And he's got like, I don't know, over a hundred film credits, maybe to his name. Did you, did you see the thing where he almost died on good, the bad, and the ugly? Mm-hmm. Three times, yeah. There's like three. where they used when they had the money bags in order to have them pick up and look all desiccated. Uh-huh. They poured acid on them, like yeah. a certain kind of acid, and then they left the bottle laying around and didn't tell anybody. Yeah. So he goes and takes a big swig out of this acid bottle, and somebody's like, "What? Stop!" So he he spits it out. I think he drank a bunch of milk to to like neutralize it a yeah. little bit, but like had all these burns all over his face for like the end of doing the movie because of drinking a bottle of acid bottle someone of left acid. laying around, like. Almost as bad as like putting a real bullet in a gun that's supposed to have blanks and shooting Brandon Lee. Like that's yeah, pretty much right. That's, yeah, that's yeah, ridiculous. That's a, a big obs- the other one was so there's that scene where um, Clint Eastwood uh, shoots the rope, severs the rope as he's about to be hung, and then mm-hmm. he lands on the horse and rides away. Right. Right. That horse apparently got really spooked and took off with him and rode for like over a mile and a half. And was he with a noose and his hands gallop, tied? Yeah, gallop, gallop the, for oh, yeah, over a mile and a half. He had his hands tied around, you know, behind That's his back. Bad, yeah. <laughs> a noose around his neck. They had yelled, cut. And he's and the horse just takes off. Oh, and, man. Uh, That's that's a good way to get yourself killed. That's, easily, that's right? Good. Yeah. That's some, so, that actually reminds me of something I wanted to ask. So I'm not a Western guy. I'm not a gun guy. Okay. Like, the way people shoot in Westerns, is that even sort of realistic that anybody could shoot the way they do like could you count on i mean if you tried to if you tried to have me shoot with no optics mm-hmm. from like 200 yards away at a rope i couldn't see the rope much less had, shoot well, at the rope he had optics he had a he had a he has a sight no he, he has, has a, a sight he, no there's a telescope he oh a, he is there? A, he has a telescope on it yeah if you, oh, okay. If you, I didn't realize that. I saw him so put that, up a little met. I, I saw him put up the full sight when he was shooting no, at the end of the there's movie. There's that scene where he misses the rope, you know, and, oh, okay. and, and has to shoot like two or three times. And then when he when he pulls the, the rifle back, there's like a scope on the side of the rifle, not on the top. It's like on the side of the rifle. It's a really mm-hmm. long scope on it. 
So he had a scope and they had scopes back then. Um, well, yeah, sure. I just, I didn't know. I didn't see, I didn't notice him using it. So I was trying to, and he's like, even with the handgun, like he shoots, uh, he, he gets Lee Van Cleef in, during the Truel. Right. And his body falls into the grave and then he shoots his hat into the grave and then shoots his gun into the grave. <laughs> well, like, why not? Right. That is, that's just I, ridiculous. I think, like, I think you could, you could probably do that if you point your point, take your, your, you know, make a gun out of your, out of your hand and just point your finger somewhere. Uh-huh. And it's only like 20 yards away. You could probably point right at whatever it is you want to shoot at. So that's I could hit, I could hit an, I know I could hit an object from the distance he was. I could hit an object with a handgun if I sighted it up, right? Like if I'm closing one eye, sure. but not, not from the hip, you know, like I shooting. Know. I mean, I don't know how anybody yeah. does that. Like that's, you just Who have knows? to have a, it's, West, it's have, Western, it's Western. Yeah. Man, you know? I guess so. I guess so. That's one thing. It's always I think, you know, I think like the, it's like the guy. It's like a Gene Wilder's character in Blazing Saddles, like shooting the thing, <laughs> oh, the, uh, like a, two miles oh, away, shoot, it, shooting the dynamite. Kid. So you know when um, he goes to buy a gun, um, oh. Tuco goes to buy a gun in that cra- crazy little crazy old man gun shop, which is a pretty yeah. funny scene. I really yeah, I like that, that old scene. man. Yeah, that's good. He just kind of nods everything that he <laughs> makes like, him go okay. along with. I was kind of worried. That was one thing where I think the character of Tuco could have tipped over into being evil because I wasn't sure if maybe he was in a Tarantino movie, that guy would have just been killed. Right. Right. No way that old man gets out of that scene in the Tarantino right. movie. But Tuco's like a little more restrained. He just kind of screws him over, which is yeah. like, okay, you know, takes his that, money, that's, takes his stuff, a little more positive. Shoves the shoves the clothes sign in his mouth at the end. That was funny. Yeah, yeah, sure. But he didn't actually hurt him, you know. He just kind of like just just screwed him over. So, yeah. So he's he goes in there and he's like and he's like revolvers. Like yeah. he's like oh revolvers. And I'm like it's it's 1862. What do you want? That's the only yeah. kind of handgun that exists, isn't it? Right. Maybe he's saying that like instead of saying pistol or something. I don't know. Like signifying that he doesn't want a rifle. He wants a pistol. But, he, but he's like complaining because he's got like a whole bunch of revolvers out on the table. Oh, he's like, revolvers? Yeah, he's like, Ugh, revolvers. And I was like, yeah. what do you want? Like, what? Yeah, now, there's also, a, there's also a guy in the film that uses a Gatling gun, which didn't right. exist in 1862. So they deployed some repeating rifles in 64 and 65, but nobody used a Gatling gun on the battlefield in the Civil War. Um, I think they might have yeah. existed. They might have existed somewhere on the planet. I think that was by actually, 1864, 1865. But that's actually the second movie where Clint Eastwood is featured with a Gatling gun. Because uh, the uh, outlaw Josie Wales, um, there's a scene in there where he wastes everybody with a Gatling gun, and it's it's Civil War time again. But it's it is it is after the war. So I, I remember I looked oh, it up Josie with Wales? outlaw yeah, Josie Wales. It's when it's when yeah. his unit retires in 1865, and they've got a Gatling gun. And I looked it up actually, because okay. I was like, really, but. Apparently, that was sort of theoretically possible okay. in the Eastern theater of the war when the war was over. There might have been a Gatling gun that would have been like mounted on a wagon. That's what thing. it was. Like, yeah, I don't think any of them actually got into any kind of combat. No field oh. battles involved Gatling guns because um, it would have been. I mean, if you had one at Bull Run, it would have changed the battle. Of course. At, any, a Gatling gun. I mean, any of the battles, it would have changed. Yeah. It. I mean, it would have. I mean, well, I mean, this is what, what I'm saying about the East is at the end of the war in a place like Petersburg. Mm-hmm. People got their heads down all the time. There's gigantic artillery and stuff like that. It's a lot like World War One. You've got trenches yeah. and no barbed wire actually because it wasn't invented yet. Um, but it's a serious like siege kind of. It, a, a Gatling gun wouldn't have made a huge difference there. Mm-hmm. But the early ones where people were dumb enough to walk up to each other in lines yeah. that would have killed 
you could have killed 200 people like within up a killing, couple of seconds. When I got so. killed in the, fire, in the artillery fire. But what I, what I was thinking about with the guy in the gun shop that I thought was kind of funny is like, if you're running a gun shop in the wild west, mm-hmm. you can't be some fumbling old guy that has no <laughs> idea. You have to be like the toughest guy in town if you're running the gun shop, right? Right. Everybody's coming in there like trying to take things from you. It's like, it's a running joke in D&D actually that the guy who runs the weapon shop has to be a retired like 20th level fighter. Okay. Otherwise, everybody would just walk in there and take and all take his, his magic stuff. items, yeah, take, take his, his stuff. stuff you know? right, like, yeah. He has to be the most powerful person in town. I was like, that guy oh, yeah. is not not the retired 20th level yeah. fighter. So. I like how they solve some of the problems. Like, So how do you get Tuco to be able to shoot the gun to make sure that he likes it and to prove how, how good he is? Oh, let's have like a little firing range out the back door. Well, that makes sense. Right, right, <laughs> so yeah. Walk out the back door. There's a firing range. You know? What happens there? I didn't quite understand. So he shoots and the guy thinks he missed and then he stamps on things and they like break in half. Is that what yeah, happened? Yeah. Well, the okay. third one does. Yeah. Cause so what he does is you, you shoot it and turn the target. And so he did that. He shoots it and turns the target, but then he shoots the target in half by shooting it crosswise. Oh, okay. so he shoots it, turns it and then breaks it in half. And then he hits that last one. He turns it, shoots it, and it doesn't fall automatically. So he stamps it, on it. Yeah, and the, and old, man falls, yeah. La- right. the old man kind of laughs at him. He's yeah. like, <laughs> miss that? You know, he's kind of like, yeah. kudos to the old man for having the nuts to do that, by the way. Yeah, right. And yeah. He stamps on it and it falls over. And he's like, huh? Yeah. I'm trying to decide if I have to bleep you saying nuts. I don't think so. Okay. That would be <laughs> that would be a speed. That would be nuts to, to do that. Yeah, yeah that um, would be crazy, which is what you well, mean, see, right? But that's what I mean. Like, Tuco, Tuco added levity to the movie that... If if it weren't for that, I mean the movie would have been pretty two dimensional. It really the movie yeah. would. The other two characters are the other two actors are super charismatic and fun yeah. to watch. Yes, but they nothing. They don't do anything. Like there's they're, no, they're, there's, there's no, no character, character character development. Yeah, no. yeah. No, no. You're yeah. it's it's just like but like I said, it's just like Loki in the Marvel movies. You're almost rooting for Tuco, even though you're like this is not a good person. Yeah. Right. You know, this is definitely not the good guy in this movie, but I'm almost kind of rooting for him. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay. Goes been... But well, it's that it's that time. Have we discussed we have... our biggest surprise? What's your okay. biggest surprise? Big, biggest surprise. You know, the biggest surprise for me was um, realizing that Tuco was the was was sort of the lead character of this movie. Okay, that, that he's the one that, yeah. that really carried the movie. I mean, Clint Eastwood's a star. Clint Eastwood got a lot of money for this, by the way. He got. 250 grand on a $1 million budget. Clint Eastwood got 250 wow. grand uh, and, wow. a for, and a new for, and a new Ferrari. Nice. And he got, and he got 10% of the box office in America. That was probably that's, worth a lot that, more than 250 ton, grand. Yeah. That's a ton of money. Yeah. So, um, well, the, the American box office, I think it was like 25 million, but so he's, well, but star. it's worth it, but it's worth it though. Cause who goes to see the movie if it doesn't have Clint Eastwood. Right. You know, yeah, exactly. it might have still it might have still been a good movie, but like he's he's the movie star. He's the guy you go. It'd be like this, you know, to bring it back to what I always do. It'd be like Star Wars without Han Solo. Yeah, you could still you could still have the movie, but it's it's no I good. I don't, I don't know because you, know, you need was, that. See, I don't know. We could we could get into that. I mean, Clint Eastwood wasn't Clint Eastwood in nineteen sixty. Well. Well, but right, but, but Harrison Ford wasn't Harrison Ford in 1977. Right, right. But he still makes the movie. He's oh no, I was thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was thinking Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck was yeah. going to play the yeah. cast. Raiders, Actually, yeah. do you know who was going to play Han Solo? Who is Nick Nolte? Really? Yeah, that like makes me sick to my stomach even yeah, mentioning that. that. 
Do you ever yeah, see that? Do you ever see the Saturday Night Live uh, skit with uh, all these different people uh, reading for the different parts? And, and yeah, I don't really remember it very well, but yeah, yeah, he's like he's like Christopher Walken and stuff like Walken, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These are not the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it was Walter Matthau or whatever. That's the guy from The Odd Couple, right? Um, or yes. That is yeah. very the, other, the one guy. Jack, Jack Klugman, Walter <laughs> he's Matthau. Like, yeah. He's like, uh, okay, I'm going to read for this. He's all, all right, we're here at the Ewoks. Ewoks? What the beep is an Ewok? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, like, they're like from Offset, you hear him say, they're these small furry creatures that live on the planet. Indoor. He's like, oh, F this. <laughs> he just throws yeah. the creatures up and yeah, walks yeah, yeah. off. He's he's like basically the he's a butter maker from uh from Bad News Bears <laughs> like complaining yeah, yeah. about yeah. <laughs> My biggest surprise was that I thought the good, the bad, and the ugly was mm-hmm. just like a general commentary on like existence. Uh-huh. I was very surprised to see that there was a character who was the good, good? <laughs> there was one who was the bad, yeah. and there was the ugly. Yeah. And not even not even just like you have to figure it out. Like the they, they do the they box you. lettering that comes up on the screen that says this yeah, is the ugly, this, this is, is the good the guy. bad, this is bad the good. Is the ugly yeah. Guy, yeah. That that really caught me by surprise. I was like, oh oh, we're doing that. That's okay. that's pretty on the nose. But I guess that's how we're handling. They're literally okay, spelling it out for you. Yeah, yeah, literally spelling it out in big yeah. red letters for me. So that was my biggest surprise. I I, I think I laughed out loud when I saw the first <laughs> one. I was like the ugly. I was like, oh, you're kidding me. That's like actually what. We're, yeah. This is your pick. This okay, so it's up to me. Yeah, I don't think there's much question about it. I mean, just the fact that let's say I had hated this movie and thought it was completely culturally irrelevant. The fact that I watched a movie later in the day that my kid was watching that directly referenced this film and was instantly recognizable, regardless of what my opinion is, this is a classic. I'm definitely toasting this classic. All right. That's what I like to hear. No no drama here. I got I gotta pick something crummy for my free choice (laughs) because we are just we just every single thing. Have you have you have you not toasted anything? I, I've, I didn't a- toast Blazing Saddles. Oh, that's right. I was. I, I, I didn't still, toast Blazing Saddles. I'm still. You didn't on that toast one. Hitchhiker's Guide. Is that it? Is that the only things that we haven't toasted? Mm-hmm. I think we should. I think we should try to do every now and then something that's like new to both of us. Yeah, that's a good point. Because then, because then it'd be like, I mean, no, it's fun. It's fun to do this. It's fun to like revisit well, something that you know, means a lot to you. But it's, it's difficult. I mean, we are Renaissance men in our own right, and we are, it's we difficult are. to find something that neither one of us. That's, that's, not, that's not done, but we can we can try. We can struggle for yeah. for you, the 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 listening audience. I'll I'll yeah. You. I think we should shake it up a little bit. Yeah, shake it up a little bit for sure. For so sure. um yeah, no, I'm toasting a hundred percent, and I'm toasting the drink too. I'm really enjoying this. I, I feel Fantastic. like I could drink this tequila all night. This is one of the smoothest spirits I've ever had. Much really? smoother than any whiskey. Yeah, I mean it's just it's it's I've never had the plato before, so it's like hardly aged at all. Right. Um, and I, I like the just whiff of agave that you get. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy it more than I enjoy drinking like medicinal vodka. Right. Uh, oh. Maybe if vodka, ha- sometimes if vodka has a slight whiff of some kind of flavoring agent, right. then I, then I like that. I think that would be just as good, but this is, this is good. I could drink this all night. So. Yeah. It has just enough um, where it actually, it tastes kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. It yep. has a taste to it. Yep. Has a taste, right? Like I know what I'm drinking. I'm not just drinking ethanol. I think I think so, this mixed w- with whatever stew or ungodly concoction they were eating with those big wooden spoons out of those big clay bowls in in the movie. <laughs> you ever notice that they like every time they you would mean, eat, it would be like you mean at uh, at what's his face's house at the beginning they're eating some kind of squash or something. I was so, trying to figure out yeah, what that was. At was. Stephen's house, and then later at that camp 
when Van Cleef is like, here, sit down and eat. Everything was eaten with like big wooden spoons. And it was yeah. eaten out of like overly large, <laughs> like pottery, like pottery, yeah, yeah. like these huge yeah, yeah, yeah. clay bowls, everything. And you couldn't really see. I think the only, I think the technical culinary term for that is stew. Just <laughs> yeah. stew. I think they're well, just know, eating stew. I know it was, I know it was slurpy. And uh, I know you didn't really have to chew it that hard. I mean, they, cause they would kind of mush no. it because you could hear all that very well. So that means they had to dub in those sounds. The oh yeah. Gross. All that stuff. Yeah. That was dubbed in. I, I, speaking of bleeping you, I think I might bleep your slurping noises. <laughs> take <laughs> yeah, it, take it easy on our listeners. And, so I think we're done, right? I mean, we, we, are we, done. we toasted. So um, yeah. the question is, so that, this was movie. This is movie. So it's up to me for free choice. Free choice. That's right. And I don't know what the drink is yet. Okay. But the video game we're oh. going to be playing for the cool. next show is The Legend of Zelda. Very cool. The original? We're just, yeah, the original one. Okay. The original one. Original. Um, the original okay. NES one. So I don't know if you can emulate that or what. Well, I've actually got it. it. I actually have it on cartridge and I can play it. Yeah, um, so do I. So. Actually. I have an okay. NES. I have the cartridge. Uh, Plus, I think I have it. Ainsley has a DS and uh, has that one as well. So, yeah, okay. definitely. No problem right. at all, man. Nice. It's, I've even uh, got the Nintendo Player's Guide that I got with my NES. When not, I, when I, yeah, that sounds good. Um, you'll have to come up with some one of the potions out of, out of there. I know. Yeah. I got to think it through. Right? Zelda-themed. Zelda there's got to be a Zelda-themed. There's going to be a Zelda-themed cocktail. You something know. elvish or something. You know, There's got to be some kind of a, a thing I can do. So, some kind of fairy potion that gives you all your hearts back or something. Right, right. I make a cocktail called the heart container. I feel like that would be a pretty good the heart one. container or the legend of Zelda cocktail, Zelda cocktail. I'm sure there's, there's yeah. gotta be a thousand out there. It's been around since, well, I guess we will find out. Some, how We're going to learn all about it. We're going to learn yeah. all about it. So, all right. So that is, uh, that's it for Toasting the Classics episode 18. Catch yeah, y'all later. Us, everybody. Right. And uh, we will see you next time. Next time. Peace out. Peace. That's it for episode 18 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some lime juice, cranberry juice, raspberry vodka, or something similar, and Sprite to make red health potions so we can keep those hearts filled while we talk about the 1986 NES game Legend of Zelda. For those who'd like to get in touch, send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and quibbles about Civil War chronology. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at atractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classic. Mm-hmm.